Hello and welcome to the Post to Post podcast. Today is Tuesday, July 18th. It's in the afternoon. It's uh, 4.42 p.m. here in uh, Stratford, Prince Edward Island. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little late, a couple days late, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we were a little busy doing some, some other video stuff uh, with your radio. Yeah, yeah. That will be on online sometime. More of a Patreon video. So uh, mm-hmm. if you're not subscribed to or not contributing on Patreon, unfortunately... You won't be able to see that, for, for but for you fine Patreon folk, uh, hopefully you enjoy it. It's a pretty interesting video, and it's pretty nerdy. I will, so, no offense. I'll cop to that. It's a little nerdy, but <laughs> it is interesting. So yeah. uh, it was fun making it as well. It, it was a lot of fun. We've also spent some time, uh, you more so than me, but both of us, I guess, from off and on, building our studio down here in the Yes, in the broadcast that's prob- probably the first thing I should have mentioned. Uh, we switched up a little bit. We put together this new desk, and it's just in our basement now, so it's a little industrial. The broadcast center. The broadcast center, yeah. But we're, we plan on putting curtains up all around us, and uh, that's the plan. But for right now, uh, this is what you get, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I wore my new, well, I, well I'm going to call my podcasting shirt with a hat and headphones and stuff, but uh, it's the dog days of summer. There's not a lot of hockey to talk about, mm-hmm. but there are a few things. So what I was thinking for this episode is that we would talk uh, a little bit of hockey, sure. a little bit of signings, there's a retirement, and then we maybe we could move on to some personal stuff, a little off hockey off-topic stuff um, about some books you're writing. Mm-hmm. So let's get into this for all you fine hockey folk at home who are waiting for us to talk about hockey. Uh, Tyler Johnson, let's talk about him first. He He's 26, plays for Tampa Bay Lightning, obviously. He just signed uh, seven years or got extended seven years at five million per year. Mm-hmm. I think this is a this is a pretty good deal for Tampa. Five million for his production is pretty great. He's just a small guy. He's fast. Uh, however, he's can be inconsistent at times. So it's I don't I don't want to call him a risky player because he's very good. But mm-hmm. I wish he was more consistent in in my view. But yeah. I think it's a good signing. It's the five million is the cap hit over the term of the contract, but his salary actually fluctuates up and down as right. it has been doing. You know, like three years ago he made two point eight million, then he made three point two, and last year he made four million. So this year, it'll, coming year, it'll be five. Yeah, you get a bit of actually, a raise, more than five, because the first year it's uh, you know it'll be five this year, right, coming, and then six point seven five. Okay, then five point five, and then it, it move ups and down, but. The overall cap hit is five million. Yes, the average. So the average, yeah, and that goes right to twenty three, twenty four. Mm. That's a long time so for we, a player that you know does have his ups and downs. Yeah, he's twenty six, just about to turn twenty seven. So uh, seven years, maybe thirty four. Mm-hmm. Mm, pretty good time to yeah. resign for your next contract. Uh, so I, I think that's uh, think think that's good. If you're if you're a Tampa fan, you can be pretty happy about that. I think so, and I think if you're him, I think it's a good deal for him. You know, I think it, it fairly rewards him for yep. his performance, but more so for his potential. And uh, now he has to live up to the money that he's going to be making. And I, th- I think he can do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's let's uh, keep with the Tampa Bay trend. Uh, Andre Palat, 26 as well, signed for five years, 5.3 million average per year. Mm-hmm. This one to me, I think they overpaid a little bit, just maybe a little bit. Uh, but still pretty pretty happy with this signing. He he fits great in Tampa. I, I love what he does in Tampa. Uh, I'm glad he's going to be there for the next five years and hopefully longer. I can see him uh, fitting in really well mm-hmm. continually with that team. So 
Yeah, he's not quite to a point per game, but he's got over 50 points in 75 games last year. And yep. that's this day and age, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, he's been consistent. Yeah, yeah. he has. And I think that's uh, that's also an acceptable deal, just like the one we just spoke of. Hmm. Yeah. So great news for Tampa. I think I think that pretty much wraps up their signings and stuff. I think they have like 3.32 million left on the cap space. So oh, okay. uh, I heard rumors recently that they might actually try to get Tavares to lure there. And we've talked about Tavares last podcast but i don't know i don't know if eiserman can pull that off i know he's he's come off as a bit of a genius these past couple years uh but i think that might be a little bit above his uh skill set to to land Tavares. but who knows i mean his his body stamp coast is there so Mm -hmm. and you know Tavares has this year that that's left and we discussed this he appears to be in no great hurry to go anywhere so he's taking his time yeah it would take a pretty shiny carrot i think to uh (laughs) A swamp, a swamp rabbit carrot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to uh, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, right. who just signed back with the Ottawa Senators, or extended, uh, three years, $3.1 million per year. He's 24, so by the time he's 27, he'll be ready for his next contract. I was a little surprised the contract wasn't a little longer. Um, I'm pretty sure the Ottawa fans and organization love Peugeot. Mm-hmm. He was phenomenal in the playoffs he was this, great uh, past season he was great. and even in the regular season he had a, he had a great season mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite players on ottawa for sure me so too very happy to see him yeah. return so yeah. good news for ottawa fans there at a respectable price for his production so. i think so a very respectable price and his salary will go up each year as well peaking at 3.4 yep. in his last year um i think it's a great deal for ottawa i, I think he's worth at least that yeah he, yeah, and I don't know who would be responsible for it not being longer, whether it's the team or whether it's him, mm. maybe both. But uh, if I were, was the Ottawa Senators, given what I've seen from him so far, I would have offered him as long as he wanted. I would have too, yeah. Mm-hmm. I probably would have even maybe thrown $4 million at him. Yep. I think he's worth 4 Yeah, I think it's a good deal. Uh, okay, moving on. Let's talk about maybe the biggest news of the week. Very tenured player brian campbell mm-hmm. he uh, 17 seasons he's retired officially from the nhl he's going to move into the chicago blackhawks front office so that's good i mean he he quits his job and gets a new one right away so that's fantastic it's always mm-hmm. great to see players transition into those roles and uh give a go at something new i guess and and uh, so it's just going to be interesting good for the good for the blackhawks and he played for buffalo san jose chicago and florida and uh now he's going back to Chicago. Yeah, so. and he had long stints with Buffalo and Florida, so he had a lot of his playing career was with teams that weren't doing exceptionally well. And uh, he was one of the good guys. You know, we're talking about him in the past tense. shouldn't be. He is one of the good guys. <laughs> he's still alive. He's yeah. still alive. Um, you know, he's a very, very hard worker, full of energy when he played. Yet one year he won the Lady Bing Trophy for being, you know, one of the, the most recognizable gentlemanly players. Oh, good for him. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was back with Florida probably six, seven years ago. Hmm. And I think that's, uh, you know, if you can be a, pr- a player that produces uh, for your team and still has low penalty minutes and is recognized for being a, a good a good head mm-hmm. on the ice, I think that's a great asset. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope we wish him well in uh, Chicago. Yeah. I think that actually pretty much wraps up the all the hockey news. That's like I said at the beginning, it's the dog days of summer mm-hmm. and uh, there's just not a lot of NHL talk. You know, if there was Australian, New Zealand, and South African hockey, it's winter down there right now. Yeah, we is. would have all kinds of stuff to talk about. Yeah, but I, I don't know how many uh, followers would be happy about that. But yeah, I don't know. So one thing, one of the things we mentioned, and I think 
two or three podcasts ago was talking about, you know, personal stuff or stories uh, unrelated to hockey, just kind of, you know, taking it easy and having a conversation. So that's what we're going to do right now. You're in the process of, I guess, writing three books. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that's uncommon. I, I don't know if people write one book and then move on to the other, but you're writing three at the one time. So yeah, it's it's I know it's a long process for each of the three books. I'm um, writing three, but they're all completely different directions so it's easy for me to keep them separate in my mind yeah let's i want let's talk about the genealogy one first sure so i don't know i'm sure if you want to release the name of the book but you can explain what it is at least well the minute i release the name it's then i get to copyright it so uh, i'm not worried about anyone stealing it yeah i guess um the genealogy book it's a collaboration with my cousin first cousin uh, a cousin of mine in fredericton cameron and uh, we are uh, in the early stages, I must say, of doing this book, but we have several chapters done, and Cameron has an agent because he's already a published author, He is. Yeah. I am not. And uh, the title is The Pirate, The Prostitute, and The President. <laughs> yeah. And not that they were all in the same room at the same time. Uh, the President is uh, someone who served over 100 years ago, Warren G. Harding. And the pirate and the prostitute were a married couple in in what is now New York back in the early 1600s. You and me and Cameron and uh, millions of people are actually descendant from the pirate and the prostitute who were early Dutch settlers in uh, New Amsterdam. And the book is about our journey, Cameron and mine, uh, and our journey doing research on these people and all the other people that have become descendants of those. Uh, We have some interesting distant cousin connections that will be revealed in the book. And it's also about our methods. You know, how do do you look at a census? What can you, what information can you pull out of a census record that can help you move on to other things? Other vital statistics records like marriages, uh, deaths, burials, uh, births, uh, all those things tell you information that, that you may not be able to get anywhere else. And we're lucky because, you know, living in North America under what was formerly a British common law system of record-keeping, the Americans and Canadians have very similar ways of recording these types of events. So because so many Canadians and Americans share a common family history uh, back and forth, it's not that hard to move from one country to another and read the other country's documents and make sense out of them. Mm. So the book is really hopefully a humorous look on how genealogy can be done from the perspective of two people who actually have done it. Mm, so, I mean, this kind of, I guess it's still a hobby of yours, but it started out as uh, just a small hobby. Oh, yeah. And then you followed the rabbit hole down uh, down through the tree branches, I guess <laughs> you could say, and uh, found lots of information. And you've sent your DNA away to, is it Ancestry? Ancestry. I've actually done two DNA samples for two different outfits. Ancestry is the, the main uh, one, yeah. And so you got some statistics back, which further helped your interest in finding more about yourself and your mm-hmm. past. So it's been, I mean, all the stories you've told me, some of them aren't very interesting because I, everyone's related to everyone, it seems, but uh, <laughs> it, the book should be interesting. I hope so. You know, it'll be a, probably a, a limited market uh, for it, but uh, <laughs> genealogy is one of the biggest and fastest growing pastimes. Yeah, it's huge. It is huge. There are entire tours devoted to genealogy yeah. and conferences and, and other podcasts and uh, they're fascinating. It's Everyone has a great story. Like, as you say, everyone is related to everyone. If you go back far enough, that's true. And everyone has interesting people. I mm-hmm. mean, if, if you dig far enough, you will find a pirate. 
<laughs> and you will find a prostitute. And not just, you know, not exactly. just us. Everybody will find Yeah, it. the title <laughs> kind of sounds like a game of Clue or something. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, you're, you've progressed now to the point where you want to actually visit some of these graveyards down mm-hmm. in New Jersey and New York and, and walk through and look at the names and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's such and such. I have him in blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there's actually a graveyard uh, in Topsfield, Massachusetts that I visited a couple of years ago that has your mother's sixth and seventh great grandfathers buried side by side. Oh. They would be your seventh and eighth great grandfathers. So they're not related to me directly, but through your mother, right. you are related to these two guys. And they both died in 1754 or 1755. And their gravestones are right beside each other on a part of the graveyard that is right next to the highway that goes down through Topsfield. And these gravestones are made out of sandstone, which you think would wear away Mm. over the last 250 years, but they haven't worn away. Mm. You can read them. And uh, I just can't wait to get farther south into New Jersey and Brooklyn and and, uh, lower Manhattan. And not that I'll find anybody in the Trinity Church Cemetery. (laughs) Uh, None of the people we're related to we're well off status-wise, I okay. don't think, so we're not going to see any monuments. And we don't have any royal blood? Going not that us? I can find. Yeah. No. <laughs> what, can you tell me some of the, uh, not, not necessarily famous, but interesting people we are related to some way or another on your side? Sure. Um, through um, my side of the family, we are related to, uh, and descendant from the pirate and the prostitute, right. uh, who, Anthony Jansen Van Soleil and Greedy Reiners. They actually have names, these people. <laughs> and uh, we are related to all the Vanderbilts. Okay. So that would put us uh, related to you know Gloria Vanderbilt and the people who built the Vanderbilt Mansion. We're related to the Astors. Uh, and these are wealthy families from New York in the early to mid-1800s, um, starting off some of them in Staten Island, but a lot of them in Manhattan. That would make us related to Anderson Cooper, for instance, who is a CNN, oh, yes. CNN guy. We're related to him. He's our ninth or my ninth cousin. Um, we are also related uh, purportedly to Jackie Kennedy. Wow. Uh, yep. Uh, she came from you know so, some of the American side of her family because she has a lot of French blood, too, mm. the Bouvier side. Uh, we're related to some people who were in Congress and, and other important roles uh, in, in government in the United States in the 1800s. And... Uh, they include Warren G. Harding, who was president for a while. And that's the president from the book? Yeah, that's the president. Yeah. Uh, and there are other presidents that the DNA says we are probably related. Like, for instance, your mother. Um, Ancestry says there's a strong possibility your mother is related to President Lyndon Johnson. Oh, okay. Who was president from 1963 until uh, 1969 when Nixon was inaugurated. So, you know, I don't know if that's a solid connection just yet. I'm still working on that one. but And that's part of the fun. Oh, yeah. Is, is finding out. And there's a bit of, uh, I don't know the right word, but accomplishment, I guess, when you actually do find 100% uh, mm-hmm. to be able to fill that gap. So that's part of the journey, I guess. Yeah. And on your mother's side, you're, you're related to more interesting people than I am. <laughs> um, your mother shares uh, common uh, grandparents' way back with William Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, that's a popular name. Very popular name, and he's considered to be the inventor of the modern English language, so Hmm. that's not too shabby. It's too bad I wasn't better at it. (laughs) I think you're pretty good. Uh, Anyone else on mom's side? Uh, Lots. Um, There are the former Lord Mayors of London. She's related to uh, a gentleman who was a very close associate of King Henry VII, and when uh, Henry VII died and was succeeded by Henry VIII, this uh, ancient ancestor of your mother's was kept in the royal court in Hampton 
by Henry VIII. And when Henry VIII finally died, his last surviving widow of, of the six wives he had mm-hmm. actually gave a special grant and land and everything to this uh, ancestor of uh, you, you and your mother. So we just helped them. We were, we were butlers. Well, yeah, I, I think it's more than that. You, yeah. you know, probably advisors, people in the court. So yeah. um, they would be, you know, not just folks who held a sign or, uh, you know, polished a sword. I think <laughs> yeah. there's a little more to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, interesting. Thanks for, yeah, for sharing that's that. one of the books. And let's move on to uh, book number two. This is a bit of a science book, mm-hmm. or not 100% a science book. It involves many aspects, but the majority of it is... Uh, about a solar storm. So Earth has a magnetic field now, which protects us from solar radiation. And in your book, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a massive solar storm and uh, the magnetic field uh, flexes and it creates the radiation to hit the Earth more than it should, mm-hmm. which in turn creates a, acts as an EMP or an electromagnetic pulse and knocks out a lot of power. Yeah. So what? tell me more about that and we'll... The book is fiction. You can almost call it science fiction, but it's very close to fact. And it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a bit of a cautionary tale because this has already happened. This is a storm of the magnitude that I'm writing about happened in 1859 and probably several times before that. But the, the last one we have a record of is in 1859. And in uh, the early September of that year, a massive solar flare uh, leapt off the surface of the sun and rushed towards the earth, actually two, one behind the other. And when they struck the earth's outer shields, if you want to call it that, the uh, the earth's magnetic field, um, it energized tremendously and even influenced uh, uh, activities on the surface. Now, this is back at a time in 1859. There was no TV, radio, or telephone, no internet, no blackberries, nothing. So this electromagnetic energy came down basically to the surface of the Earth and interacted with any technology that did exist at the time, which was very sparse. There was an account of the energy getting into telegraph lines, because back then, as they were building trains across North America, they would run poles and run wires in those poles, and they would signal each other using telegraph. And the signals from the sun into the magnetic field of the earth were so powerful that it lit fires on these poles. They caught fire. These wires got so hot. So what I've done with the book and what I'm in the process of doing, and I'm probably 30, 35% into the book now, is describing the, the danger of what could conceivably happen if the same size storm were to hit today. So it's 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 fiction, but it's based on actual possible events, and it kind of acts like a warning to everyone that hey, we should be paying attention a little bit more to uh, the sun, maybe. That's right, and there are things we can do, and I hope you know if if the book gets all the way to the end and people even read the thing, which yeah. is a a long shot. Um, hopefully, they'll be left with a sense of you know, not so much what can I do. We can't do anything to stop the solar flare from happening. Right. But what we can do is protect ourselves against the effects of the solar flare by uh, providing uh, ourselves with backup means of power, backup means of communication right. when it does happen, if it does happen. And it's not really a matter of if, it's more so a matter of when. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. It, it's going to happen. And hopefully it'll happen not till after the book comes out. Because yeah. if it comes out before <laughs> the book, it's going to really ruin it for me yeah. <laughs> and probably for the world. But, um, you know, there are satellites in orbit now. Uh, they have already in the past, several of them, including an Annex satellite, a Canadian satellite, 
were affected by a solar flare in the past and actually got wiped, half the satellite was wiped out uh, and it couldn't transmit anymore. So you multiply that by all these new satellites that have been launched since then. Our GPS system is yeah. is based on those satellites. If if enough of those satellites were to get knocked out by a solar flare, the GPS would vanish. Mm. We would have no more GPS. And we have come to rely on it so heavily in the last 10, 15 years. A lot of people probably would have difficulty getting by without it. Well, it's everywhere. It's in your phone. Uh, pilots use it. It's literally yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere. It's- and telecommunications, you know, the a lot of the internet, uh, most most of it's probably on fiber through cables under the ocean now, and that would be safe. But yeah. uh, there is a lot of communication going through satellites, and uh, if they're knocked out, then that stops. The power grid, and, and that's the main focus of the book, is what these kinds of surges can do to the power grid. They can knock entire cities off. And, and this has happened even with lesser flares already. In the 80s in Quebec? Yes, there was one in uh, 1986, I believe it was, in Quebec in March. The northern lights were so strong on the biggest night of that that yeah. I stopped on my way home from a meeting in Fredericton, and I stopped in a, in a darkened field, uh, what we call um, Fraser's Field yeah. in McGivney. And not only were the northern lights lit- lighting up the northern sky, but if I turned south, I could see the northern lights in the no southern way. sky. Wow. And northern lights were seen as far south as Cuba that night. Wow. In Central America. So, you know, and that's when the grid went down in Quebec. Basically, the whole province kicked off. Yeah. And it caused blackouts in adjacent grids as well. So it, this affects uh, electronics that are on. Uh, if, hypothetically, if they knew it was coming and they shut down all the power grids and basically all the electronics and it hit and then it passed, would we be able to power up everything without any repercussions? Well, that's the, the direction the book is heading. Oh. The question becomes, uh, that debate will happen. It'll happen in, in my book. It'll happen in the White House. It'll happen in the National Science Foundation. It'll happen in the military. Is it worthwhile doing? Is it worthwhile shutting the power grids off, grounding all the wires, and then letting the solar storm hit, and then after the storm has passed, energize everything and put it back on? Mm. Um, the theory will be tested in the book. Uh, so it's a very good question. From what I remember you telling me months ago, your book follows uh, multiple storylines of individuals. Mm-hmm. So you have a pilot in your book and you have someone who works at a weather station or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, so it it kind of follows different people and tells their stories and how they deal with it and prepare for it and all that stuff. Is that correct? It is. And there, there's going to be political intrigue as well. The person who works at the forecasting center is actually the space weather forecasting guy. Yeah. And he develops a theory of how to more accurately predict future storms. And he sees one coming. His task then is to convince his superiors and other people that there's a storm coming. And if and when they finally believe his advice, their challenge becomes, what do we do about it? Because if they shut down the power grid, it'll take probably two or three weeks to shut it down and turn it back on again. Right. People will die, Yeah, especially if it happens in the winter. And since I'm writing the book, it's going to happen in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there's a debate in the American military. Like, if we know this flare is coming, do we tell the Russians? Do we tell the Chinese? Uh. Or do we just let it happen to them? And it's like having a weapon that you didn't even have to pull the trigger on. It just happened and you just didn't warn them about it ahead of time. Interesting. So how public does this get? What kind of debates and battles happen? And what if a couple of uh, keen reporters in Washington find out about this? 
what do they do ethically, whether they broadcast the story themselves or not? Very interesting. This, I think so. This could be a movie. Well, you know, I'm thinking that. <laughs> uh, I'd love that. If movie houses want to give me a call for a, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a pre-version of the screenplay, I'll be happy to work with you on that. Yeah, shout out. Come on, Hollywood. <laughs> um, so I don't think people understand how actually serious this is. If that 1859 storm hit today, it would take decades to get back. To- it would. It would knock us back at least 100 years. Yeah. And, and that sounds drastic, but it, it's true. The only things that would survive intact are older technology, uh, tube-type radios and that kind of thing. Anything more modern that has transistors in it, they're very sensitive to low voltage fluctuations, and uh, they could be knocked out. The power grid especially is vulnerable because the power is transmitted from the generating station or the hydroelectric dam or the nuclear plant to a city on these very very high-capacity lines and they carry tremendously high voltages. And the voltages are way too high to be used by us in our houses. So they're stepped down from uh, in places called, uh, in stations with transformers. And the transformers step the voltage down to a manageable amount of power that we can use in our houses. These transformers, they will heat up when this uh, magnetic storm right. arrives. They will heat up and they will overheat and then they will break down and fail. Some of these transformers were built on the sites where they sit now. They can't be just trucked in. You can't just pick up the phone and say, oh, I'd like a new transformer, please. This one appears to have blown up. Yeah. Uh, they have to be planned years in advance. They have to come over by boat. There's only two places right now that are making these transformers. One is in Germany and the other is in South Korea. So it would be years and years and years before the power grid could be, even now, if we started today to upgrade the power grid, it would be years and years and years before we would be even close to being protected. So there's a serious issue here that a lot of people don't actually know about. That's right. It's very serious. And and the people in power in Washington do know about it. Uh, Obama signed an executive order uh, just last fall before he finished his presidency to launch a very serious effort to try to get the, the fire lit under some of these power utilities and, and uh, other agencies to get them all on board with, you know, finding a way to protect the United States. And Canada and the U.S. are so integrated with their power, we're all in the same boat here. Yeah, exactly. We're part of one big family, I guess. We're we on are. the same continent. So yeah. uh, if it affects them, it affects us. And uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. But mm. I'm looking forward to your book uh, regardless. I'm having fun with it. Yeah. At least. So... How often do you switch back and forth between these books? Like, do you work on one for a week and then do another for a day? Or yeah, usually more than a week. Actually, I right now I'm throwing myself into this book we've just been talking about, the, right. the science fiction book, um, tentatively to be called Flare. Or you know, if a publisher gets it and wants it called something else, man, they can call it whatever they like. <laughs> yeah, as long as they're going to send me a check. Exactly. Because yeah. uh, right now I'm doing this for nothing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is my current focus right now. The genealogy book is something, because I'm doing it with Cameron and he has a busy life of his own, um, you know, we'll work on that as we can. It's more of a wintertime activity, I think, with that. Right. uh, When he's a little less uh, mobile and me too. And the third book is, is, I'm basically finished the third book except for revisions. And that's Mm. something I pick away at when I want to. And, third book. and that is the uh, least interesting to me, no oh. no offense, and maybe to a lot of people, it's a, a political book. Yeah, it's, it's a memoir, 
Right. Because I had a past career in that field, uh, not very long career, but it, it led to very interesting work that I did after that. So it's a memoir of my public life, uh, my private life prior to that, and how it has shaped me and informed me about public issues and, and ways to approach policy that I think would be of some interest to some people some of the time. Some of the time. <laughs> well, so it's a lower priority. So that'll be, or when do the re- revisions happen? Um, they're happening now on a very occasional basis. What I did was I, when I finished the first draft of the book, I sent copies of it out to some journalists and other uh, well, well-informed well friends of mine to read it and comment. And I've received those comments back now, and I'm trying to integrate those comments, okay. which are very good suggestions, into the book. So it will it will curve in a different direction, but it basically uh, the, the middle three-quarters of it will remain the same. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing uh, those three things with me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And thanks for asking. No problem. And I guess uh, I, I hope you get get going on that science fiction book because I'd like to I'd like to read that. I have sent out a couple of chapters to a friend of mine who's read them and already made some great suggestions oh. for me because he's a, he, he knows some terminology that I don't know. Mm. And not to belabor that, I don't want your listeners to go to sleep here <laughs> or stay asleep. But uh, I have had some great help already on the science fiction book. Right. I made contact with a real live forecaster Ooh. in Boulder, Colorado, who has answered several of my questions. I've also made contact with a senior uh, planetary scientist Whoa. Uh, in the United States who was actually for a while, you know, the Juno mission to Jupiter? Absolutely. She is one of the head people. Uh, who is coordinating that entire mission. And she was kind enough to answer some questions of mine. So these people will be thanked wow, that's amazing. profusely in the book. The support I've had from folks who really have lots more to do than talk to me, yeah, because uh, I'm just a nobody author, uh, has been tremendous, and I'm very happy. So what's your plan to uh, publish that one? Right now, I'm considering doing what Andy Weir did. Uh, Andy right. Weir is the guy who wrote The Martian. Yes. And he is doing, or he was doing, roughly what I'm doing. And I'm very much inspired by his journey from being a writer to a published author. It was a digital self-published, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Yes. And I am considering that as one uh, possible way. I am going to send the manuscript out right. to a couple of uh, publishers that I'm aware of would be maybe receptive to this kind of book. Uh, but I'm also considering, and I have the ability to do what I like, uh, publish parts of the book online. There are mm. websites that authors use to publish excerpts of their books and receive comments from fans and colleagues. Yeah. And I may do that. I've explored and created some accounts in some of those sites. And I may end up publishing it just on Amazon. Uh, Andy Weir did that eventually. He said, I'm going to put it up in Amazon as an ebook, and I'm going to charge 99 cents for it. Just, you know, he just wanted to really give it away. And Amazon yeah. said, we don't do free. Yeah, that's the lowest they'd go. That's the right? lowest yeah. they'd go was 99 cents. So he said, okay, 99 cents. Yeah. And even though he had a free version on his own website, people, more people bought the 99 cent version than downloaded the free version because I think they wanted to have something of value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm maybe, and who it caught, knows? it caught fire from there and... uh if you've seen the movie, I guess you know how, how that played out pretty mm-hmm. well for Andy Weir. So <laughs> Very well for Andy Weir and hopefully really well for Brent Taylor. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's been about 30 minutes, so mm-hmm. maybe we can wrap this one up. Maybe so. Did you want to talk about uh, oh, yes. Just that little briefly. envelope back there? So we opened up a P.O. box uh, recently, made a video about it, and this is our first letter 
It's the the only one that's came so far. So it's from a it's from a kid in Nova Scotia, I believe. I won't show the front to give away any names or anything, but we think it might be a kid, and they're from uh, Barrington Passage, I think it might be. Yeah. So we're, so if you're the person who sent that, we got it. You got it. Just waiting to open it. We're gonna wait. Uh, collect a few letters. Collect a few packages, if there are any. And then open them all at once on camera and make a video for the channel. So uh, just just a waiting game right now, I guess. Just mm-hmm. waiting for more to come in. And I don't know how long we're going to wait. Maybe, I guess it depends on how much stuff comes. Yeah, we don't want this uh, young gentleman to wait too, too long. Exactly. Or a lady, whoever it may be. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, uh, if the comments that I've seen in the YouTube, you know, and on the uh, Discord are any indication, there is stuff on its way. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just a matter of waiting for it to go plop. <laughs> yeah. Interesting uh, verbiage there. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Discord, maybe we should plug that a little bit. We've been having some great conversations on our Discord server. Mm-hmm. Uh, the link will be in the description. If you want to talk hockey with fellow hockey fans or with us, we communicate on there quite often. There's different rooms. Uh, EA Sports, people play NHL 17 or 16 and stuff online. There's all kinds of gamers in there talking, making teams, playing together. We have a general hockey section where we just chat about hockey. We have an off-topic section, which, you know, if you want to talk about something that's not hockey like we did today, mm-hmm. go to the off-topic session and, uh, you know, just chat up, chat mm-hmm. up with the people. So lots of different rooms. Uh, so, yeah, if you, if you guys aren't part of the Patre- uh, part of the Discord, I uh, hope you can join and, and contribute to some conversations. Uh, I think I said pa- Patreon by accident there, so I guess I'll plug that too. <laughs> we got a Patreon nice segue. with different uh, levels. You can contribute as little as a dollar and uh, see some behind the scenes post to post stuff, some videos and learn a little bit more about us as people and hockey fans and see some of our collections. Uh, Justin's made video on, videos on there. We just did a video, uh, which I believe we talked about at the beginning of this video about radios and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a kayaking video a couple of days ago. So, you know, some unrelated hockey stuff. But, you know, if you like us, then it's a good way to see a little bit more about our lives. And you're also helping the channel grow financially, which uh, allows us to do more things quality-wise, production and yeah, stuff helps, like that. Help us uh, continue to expand the broadcast center. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hopefully this gets a little better uh, as time goes on, but we're working on it. Yeah. So thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. If uh, if you guys want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter at post to post show Same on Instagram, post to post show Facebook, post to post show Same name for all three platforms. Uh, if you want to send me an email with any questions, it's uh, post show at gmail.com. Otherwise, guys, thank you very much for listening or watching this podcast because we are filming this. Uh, if you haven't already known from watching this on YouTube for the past 30 minutes. Uh, so, yeah, thanks everybody for listening and watching. Leave a review on iTunes, uh, Google Play Music. Subscribe on, on the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Hit that like button and uh, we'll see you next time. Adios. See ya.